Yes, you're listening to Open Mic Friday on Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and I'm here to listen to your questions and attempt to answer any theological questions on the basis of the Bible. But before we do so, I want you to hear the following. Yes, you may have recognized that as Box Brandenburg Concerto number one in F major. The reason I'm very familiar with that, when our first son uh, Luther was born, I had a reel to reel and I had on it the Bach Concertos, Brandenburg. And even when he was very young, he would sit on the table and listen to that. And boy, does he ever have a good ear. He's able to play piano pieces without music, this kind of thing. That's just something. But why are we playing it? Well, it just so happened yesterday was the 334th birthday of Johann Sebastian Bach. And as I've been telling you, right now I'm driving about a 1,000 miles per week because I do... Sunday services at two congregations. Then I do a Wednesday for two congregations, Lenten. And then also Thursday for two congregations, a Lenten service. And they're about, one is 400 miles round trip, another is 300 miles round trip. So we're getting to about 1,000 miles per week. So what do I do in the car? People say, how can you drive? I listen to XM, XM Sirius. Those are those radio stations, and they have on it Symphony Hall, it's called. And I was listening to that all the way home last night from one of the congregations because they had, well, I would say about five hours of Johann Sebastian Bach because of his birthday. So I was learning a lot about why he had done them. He actually wrote the Brandenburg Concertos to impress an individual who would hire musicians. But the individual had an orchestra that was unable to play them. It was so difficult. And so he never got hired there. And it took a number of years before proper symphonies were able or orchestras were able to play it. The Brandenburg Concertos. There is a number of them, and this was really good to listen to. They also played Bach's Mass in a B-flat minor. That was about a two-hour program, listening to that. And it was just really interesting to hear really good music. Sirius XM also has stations for the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And then they have other stations, comedy stations, things like that. 
So it's really a quick trip every time I go because I'm listening to that or I have a CD in there or on Wednesdays and Thursdays when I drive during the daytime, I'm always listening to issues, etc. That's good. And when that is over, I'm usually out of range anyway for KFUO and then I turn over to the Sirius XM. And on the way home, it's just basically Sirius XM. But no further ado, let's talk about what we're here for today. It's an open mic Friday on Law and Gospel. Do you have a question of a theological nature? If you do, the number in St. Louis, 821-0850. Or toll-free anywhere in North America, one 800 7302727 and I'm here to answer your theological questions. I do want to make note that the theme for this week was how do we reach the nuns, N O N E S, those individuals who for one reason or another have left the institutional church and now they're a member of none. No denomination. <clears throat> and we were making the point that there are a number of ways to do that. Some churches, they have a lot of entertainment going on with bands playing, this sort of thing. Others have self-help sermons. Then there are sermons, which I call exegetical sermons, where they're explaining the text. But I am absolutely convinced that the only way to reach these nuns is by means of law and gospel. And I was asked about the article I've been talking about. It was in the Concordia Theological Seminary out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, the spring 2019 edition for the life of the world. And the article was written by Reverend Chad Kendall. K-E-N-D-A-L-L. And it was reaching into the secular world. And he talks about having come to the congregation. And when he did, uh, people were coming to him and asking big questions. Not about the doctrine of justification, nor about law and gospel, he says. Nor about the Lutheran doctrine of the sacraments. It was more questions like, Don't you think the apostles were power-hungry? Don't you think St. Paul was a bigot? Don't you think hierarchies in the church should be abolished? How can you be part of an institution which has done so much evil in the name of Jesus? And what Pastor Kendall said is he stopped answering those questions because he wasn't getting anywhere with them on the basis of reason, he could out-answer the question, but it didn't make a change in the faith. And what he recognized is what makes a real change in the faith is law and gospel, which, of course, Jesus does a number of times. All right, so let's go to the phone lines right now and see what our questions are. First one up was Mike. Hi, Mike, you're on the air. How are you doing? Good. How about yourself? Real good. Uh, listen, yeah, I have a question for you. Well, that's why you called. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, okay, you know, um, you know, you were saying that you don't have to be you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Right. Well, 
okay, you think about Jacob. Okay, Jacob had his name changed to Israel. And would you say at that point he was a he was adopted by God and he was saved even though he wasn't baptized? Yes, I would. Okay, that answers it. All right. Well, thank you very much for calling. Appreciate that. Yeah, when we say it's not necessary to be baptized, what baptism does in some situations, like with infants, it does create faith in them. But recently I baptized a young man who already had faith in Jesus. He was not Lutheran, and he wanted to be baptized. Why was he baptized if he already had faith? Because baptism now gives him an assurance that God not only loves him, but has forgiven his sins. Because in baptism, as the Apostle Peter spoke about in Acts uh, during the Pentecost sermon, you get two gifts. You get the gift of the remission of sins, and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now, no longer do you have to resort to your faith as to whether or not you're going to be saved you can look to your baptism and see promises from God that give you that assurance. All righty. Thank you very much, Mike. Let's go on to the next person, and that's James. Boy, James, how'd you get up so early? <laughs> well, look, Pastor, I thought this was a perfect time to ask you about recidivism and sin. We'd like to know your thoughts on that. Uh, and what do you mean by recidivism? Um, to reoffend, uh, to backslide, I guess, in yes. the context that we've been talking about it. But, uh, for example, when we're talking about recidivism and sin, uh, how are we to understand these three verses in that context? And the verses are Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verses 26, Romans 7, verses 15, and the opposing view or the opposite view we're thinking is Hebrews 11, uh, verse 25. Could you uh, give us your understanding of these verses in the context of recidivism and sin? Yes. Thanks for, uh, so much for calling. I know you're going to go back with your group. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. Uh, let's get recidivism correct. You hear a lot about that when people go to prison and then they get out of prison and there's a large percentage that continue to do the crimes that they were sent to prison for. So recidivism is when I would say, God, forgive me for having a gossiping voice. Maybe I was gossiping to somebody and telling them something they should not know. And I might do that more than once. Remember, Jesus says, how many times do we forgive? Not seven times, 70 times seven. So, verse 26 of Hebrews 10, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. The key word here is not sinning. It doesn't say, but if we go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, it says if we go on sinning deliberately. Now that means there's no repentance. In other words, I enjoy the sin I'm doing. 
I don't really care that much about what God says about it, and therefore I'm not going to repent. In fact, what God has set up is the Holy Christian Church, which then moves ahead to excommunicate someone with that kind of an attitude who goes on sinning deliberately without repentance. Let's take a look at Romans 7, verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, that, of course, is sins of recidivism. But what is Paul saying? Is he an unbeliever when he does these things? No, he's not. He's talking about the battle he continues to have between the old man and the new man. He knows what is right. He desires to do what is right. But a lot of times the old Adam just takes over and moves him to sin. And therefore, that's why he says uh, what he says here, that the, the things I want to stop from doing, I'm not able to do. In fact, verse 17 is very important. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. That's the difference. If you do it deliberately, it is you doing it, and you have no new man there to want to undo it or repent of it. But when you recognize that these sins of weakness occur, or sins of recidivism that shows from a law gospel point of view that you're doing them in light of the fact that you don't care about God. And that's why when that lack of faith goes on, you're in trouble. Now, the last one was Hebrews 11, verse 25. I want to start with 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Remember, Pharaoh had said, kill all the children. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, what that verse is telling us is that as he came to realize that he was part of Israel, who were in captivity, he began to love what they needed. And, of course, God chose them, therefore, to take the people out of Egypt. In regard to recidivism, therefore, he was not sinning against his own people. But he refused instead even to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, which he could have had in the palace of Pharaoh. So I hope that kind of answers the questions. We're going to move on now. And uh, let me see. Okay. Can't quite read who's up. Is this Rusty? Yes, it is. Good. Hey, uh, I know the the word "so" is lot is is in Psalms a lot, 
But I got a question. Does your soul and your spirit go to heaven? And, and how do you define the word soul? Excellent question. God makes a distinction in some passages between body, soul, and spirit. In other passages, it's just the body and spirit. We believe, teach, and confess that when a person dies, the body goes into the ground and his spirit goes to heaven. Remember the words of Jesus on the cross? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And that's also what others say when they're about to die. The soul is considered, if you're going to have a three-part definition, as kind of the life of the body. So that's why we'll sometimes uh, refer, like in a congregation, somebody will ask me, well, how many people, how many souls are worshiping each week? And I say, well, we got about 100 each week in, 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 in the sanctuary. And that is the word soul referring to a person with a live body. So sometimes the word soul also is equivalent to the word spirit, which goes to heaven. And so I'm not saying that the souls of the departed are not in heaven, but if you're talking about with their bodies, no, they're not in heaven with their bodies, but the spirit is there, and sometimes the Bible uses the word soul and spirit in an equivalent way. Is that helpful? Do they go together to heaven, the soul and the spirit, or not? Uh, if you're talking about the life of the body, no, they don't. That occurs on Judgment Day when the body and the soul rejoin the spirit in heaven. So the spirit's the only one that goes to heaven. Your soul will go to heaven when it joins your body in the air with Christ. That is correct. Well said. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you. That was a great question and a good answer. And there's a lot of confusion these days. We were just listening to Issues Etc. yesterday, and they had an excellent uh, program on Jehovah Witnesses. You may not understand this, but Jehovah Witnesses, because I attended a Jehovah Witness funeral, it was the sister of one of my members, and they have the teaching that the person goes out of existence at the time of their death, and God brings them back into existence on Judgment Day. Now, what happens to all those people who are unbelievers? Jehovah Witnesses do not believe in hell. They just never come back into existence. So they go out of existence entirely. In fact, uh, there are some so-called Christian pastors who teach that also. It's called universalism, where everybody is going to be going to heaven. There is no hell. Now, why are they teaching that? They cannot wrap their minds around the idea that God would be so judgmental that he would take a creation called a human being and sends them to hell simply because they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, whether we can explain why God does that or not satisfactorily, I don't think we can. It's not necessary. It's in the Bible. So therefore, once God says it, 
that settles it. So we don't have any question that God will do that. Just look at Matthew 25. That's the passage about the sheep and the goats. And the goats, of course, are the unbelievers. And it's very clear from Matthew 25 what's going to happen to the unbelievers. Jesus says that at the end of this parable. And this obviously is a parable because Jesus is talking about human beings as sheep and goats. And what does he say there? He says, then he will say to those on his left, Matthew 25, verse 41, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And the fact of them uh, there, verse 46 goes on, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so there's no doubt that that is going to be happening. And we don't doubt it because once he says it, that settles it. And there are other passages in the Bible, like in the Old Testament, where it talks about that the body will be separated from the spirit and then later on rejoined. And there's no doubt about it that that's found throughout the New Testament, that those who are alive will also go up into the clouds at the same time that the bodies that were in the grave will go up into the clouds. That, that's something that we need to understand, that judgment day may come while you and I are still here on earth living. What will happen is that there's going to be a transformation of our bodies in order to ascend into heaven in the new body with our spirit. And therefore, we'll have a body and a spirit that will never sin again, and we will be living in bliss. So that's really, really important. And it's all because Jesus Christ died and rose again. Now, this passage is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So that means those who are in the grave. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That means we won't be going ahead of them. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a cry of command, with the voice of an angel, with the sound of the dev of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, that means still on the earth, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, he says, 
encourage one another with these words. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. So we appreciate that call from Rusty. We see we have another on the line, but we simply don't have the time to get to you. If you want to call, call a little earlier on Open Mic Friday. We're really looking forward to Monday. Monday is the day when we take a look at lessons for the following Sunday. And there are a lot of passages in the Bible that are similar to those found in other religions, like thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. But on Monday, we're going to take a look at a passage from the Bible that you find in no other religion. It is uniquely Christian, and therefore it's an important passage to use in talking to people about the importance of Jesus Christ. I'm Tom Baker. Till Monday, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.